When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. 2021 has turned out to be so bleak so far that we are actually going to look back to the relatively more calm year of 2020 and look at the best albums of 2020, which we actually were going to do earlier, but then Taylor Swift dropped that extra album, so we had to jump on that. And I have with me to discuss the list that Rolling Stone did Brittany Spanos and Simon Vozik-Levinson and Rob Sheffield. So there's a lot of albums on this list that we, in one form or another, discussed in great depth on the podcast, whether interviewing the, the makers of the album or just discussing the albums. So I, I will, will try to, for the most part, to lay off of those. But I, I will say, Brittany, if you could keep like only three albums from this list, which, which would they be? And no, you um, cannot name Driver's License, the song that just came out, and, they, and, and say it's the best album. I wasn't even going to bring it up okay, yet. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was going to bring that up about halfway through. Okay. I think the top three is pretty amazing. Like, I think the, the top three are albums that I've personally found to be continuously on repeat still. We're high on my own personal ballot and list that I submitted for when we were putting this list together and yeah i think folklore fetch the bolt cutters and one of the three bad bunny albums the first of three bad bunny albums are the albums that i've i've loved the most this year well that conveniently segues into the bad bunny album we did not have a chance to discuss much tell me what you love about that album i mean he's just so experimental in everything that he's doing like i feel like he cares so little about kind of fulfilling just like one identity like he loves the history of reggaeton so much but he also has like a lot of like rock taste and a lot of like kind of you know on the most recent album there's like a lot more kind of like pop and there's just a mixture of things that he just really is having so much fun with like he's just someone who very clearly was just having a great time in the studio this year experimenting kind of inviting in friends inviting in heroes and just making something that is kind of like a hodgepodge of like what's going on in his brain which is just like so much and he's just like a real kind of a creative who does it for the love of creating as opposed to breaking records and he just kind of is organically breaking these records now too which being the most streamed artist globally last year is so incredible and all three albums are just so unique and so fun and just like weird he's just like a, a fun weird guy and that makes him so charming and and wonderful rob did you want to chime in on that one yeah i love that record it's uh, you could tell like it's it's such a uh throwing so many ideas together at rapid pace just out of this sort of exuberant you know like let's see if it works and let's see if this works and as it turns out they all work anyone else simon is nodding yeah i you know for me bad bunny made three great albums last year they're all really good which is actually super impressive to me i think he's the only person who did that last year but that first one to me is is so impressive because you know he talked a lot in the album cycle for that one about how 
he was making an album that called back to these kind of classic reggaeton sounds that he grew up listening to in Puerto Rico in the 90s and 2000s. And I love how it sounds when someone who's a, already a huge pop star kind of just makes the album that they want to hear. And you can really, that really comes through in the music. There's just, it's so fun to listen to him just kind of, you know, following that muse where it's supposed to go, where he wants to hear it go without worrying about what's going to be a crossover hit or what the current trends are. And that, that yielded something really incredibly fun to listen to, I think. Yeah, it's like really nice when an artist just knows that they have very little to prove. <laughs> like, it's like nice to kind of hear that with someone. And I think Bad Bunny is someone who has very quickly been like, you know what? I'm already like people are gravitating towards my music. I like he knows he can put on a great show. He knows he can make a great visual as well and make a, an immediate hit. And these albums were just like Simon said, like they were just like things that he just wanted to make and had very little to prove. One of the things that's great about our list is the uh, breadth of music coverage. So you can literally go from Bad Bunny at number three to uh, Bob Dylan at number four. And, and Rough and Rowdy Ways is actually an album we barely talked about on the podcast as well. I was a little bit more excited listening to just the songs that came out on their own. I, for me, when the album as a whole dropped, maybe that was the problem for me. Maybe I'd taken away too much of the anticipation by listening, but I kind of preferred that experience. But I know that, that a lot of Dylan fans really love this album. Yeah, well, Rough and Rowdy Ways was my number one album of the year, personally, which is not something I expected at the beginning of the year. I, I love Dylan. You could say I'm a, a Bob Dylan stan. Uh, I love his early albums, his mid-period albums, his late albums, but I, I would not have expected in January, last January, that a new Bob Dylan album would be my album of the year. He really outdid himself. He really rose to the challenge on this one. It's the, the first album of all new songs that he's made in a long time, since 2012, and it sounded to me like he, he really spent that time, in addition to making you know albums where he covered you know Frank Sinatra songs and playing great live shows, he really focused on kind of sharpening his uh, his writing, his songwriting game. Uh, that's kind of a funny thing to say about someone like Bob Dylan, who's already, you know, uh, a, a pretty decent songwriter. <laughs> he but, finally uh, figured out how to write songs, is what you're saying? <laughs> but, uh, he, I mean, every song on that album, just the, the lyrics on that album are what stunned me the most. Like, every single line on that album is dripping with multiple layers of bitterness, sarcasm, love, regret longing there's so much going on there and he he's expressing it in such a unique and quintessentially bob way that uh that album just blew me away it's really like a a singer's album and i really loved those crooner albums uh, simon i don't know if you're into the sinatra records i loved those and and i loved how he would do those songs live and he'd you know like take the microphone and dip it down low he really enjoyed hamming it up in retrospect, he was trying things with his voice because when you're Bob Dylan, every time people think your voice is as bad as it can get, it gets even worse. And he figures out new tricks he can do with his even croakier voice. So with this album, he was like using all the sort of tricks that he learned while making the Sinatra records. So vocally, it's like a completely different sort of vocal style for him where he's uh, whispering and crooning his songs the way he sang the Sinatra songs. You listen to Murder Most Foul. This is not a song that he... It's not a vocal performance he could have done a few years ago or, or you know, 10 years ago. It's its completely different. It reminds me a bit in this canon of uh, Time Out of Mind, which was another record where he said, you think you know my voice, but here's how it sounds now and here's all these new tricks I can do with it. So this is a really shocking record just to hear. Also, I love how he has Fiona Apple playing piano on the <laughs> album, which is like kind of wild because... You know, Murder Most Fall came out and we saw the credits and we were like, you know, it's really strange that she's playing piano on this and nobody really knew what she did on the album. She was just there on the credits. 
it, it turns out she's, you know, it, it's like, how could the Bob Dylan 17 minute song about the JFK assassination get even weirder? He's got Fiona Apple <laughs> playing piano on it. It's sort of like a vindication of the 1997 Grammys ethos. <laughs> it's basically the revenge of soy bomb. <laughs> yes, what an incredible flex to get Fiona Apple on your album just to play some like really tasteful, subtle piano parts in the background of your 17-minute song about history. Uh, incredible, incredible move by Dylan. The sad thing is Bob did that solely to get Britney to appreciate him, and even that didn't work. He's going to keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> I did discover I like one Bob Dylan song this year. It was most of the time, and that's that's the one that okay. I enjoy. So that's that's been that's been on repeat. So I'm I'm. Sl- you know, check in with me in a few years. Okay. It will we'll get a full album. <laughs> you know, I'll put it on a mix with it. <laughs> Do we have someone who can take uh, Waxahachie? Waxahachie, uh, aka Katie Crutchfield, is someone who already was known among sort of indie rock fans as a really unique and great songwriter. She's made some awesome records uh, on her own that were sort of smaller, smaller records, uh, and some that sounded a little bigger. Um, this album that she put out in 2020, St. Cloud, uh, to me was really a, a big level up for her. Uh, she kind of embraced all of these classic kind of country rock harmonies and influences and really and brought that into what she was doing in a way that put her, her kind of Alabama-born singer-songwriter style in a whole new light. That's another album where just, you know, song to song, it's incredibly strong. Okay, and at number eight is Lil Uzi Vert and a, a great album. And, and number nine is Jesse Ware, What's Your Pleasure?, and I think we have a few people clamoring to talk about that one. I mean, this was the year of the disco revival, as we talked a little bit in, in some other podcasts about. But yeah, I mean, it was such a surprising musical trend this year is that there were so many artists who did release albums that evoked disco, that referenced disco, that were explicitly disco. And Jesse Ware's What's Your Pleasure is one that was very explicitly disco and kind of this like every song on there sounds like the last like two hours at studio 54 and just like really kind of like end of the night and you know just like everyone's kind of leaving the club and it's just so good and so i think one of the most purely disco of the releases that we've gotten this year where it did feel like it could have come out in like 1979 and we're listening to an old vintage classic disco album that has been lost for years and Jessie Ware is someone I I had not really been too much on my radar. I had not been like a super fan of a lot of her music and kind of none of it really struck me too much. But this was like, this definitely changed a lot for me and is one of my absolute favorite albums from this year. One that I've returned to so often and just like really, really, really fun and really strong. It's just every song on there is incredible. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And, uh, again, there's a lot of albums that we've talked about extensively. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers' Punisher, check out my interview with Phoebe Bridgers. Lady Gaga Chromatico, we've talked a bunch about that. Uh, number 12, uh, Springsteen's Letter to You, we actually really haven't talked about. So, within limits, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I, I wrote a cover story on that, and I had it really early um, because of the, of the way our schedule works. So, for me, it's, a, it's an album from the summer. And, you know, it's with a lot of music from 2020, you end up doing backflips to figure out why it relates to the pandemic and everything else. Uh, this is, and I guess this is one topic we did touch on during the songs episode. You didn't have to go too far to relate the stuff about mortality and ghosts to the pandemic. But, you know, I think what was strongest was just hearing the E Street Band or any band play in a room. That was what was most powerful for me because that's what we were missing. And here it is, like all this. It's just like sort of what Bruce does. It's just all this life, all this energy encapsulated into this recorded thing. Like it, like it can barely fit into the thing. There's so much life. And this is from guys almost all in their 70s and, and Patty. <laughs> um, guys and Patty. <laughs> I love how he made a real arena rock record when all the arenas were closed. And he made a record almost exclusively of songs that are designed to sound like bangers live. So you listen to a song like Ghosts and it's like, it's almost like it's designed with like parts for us to make noise when the band gets a little quiet. It, so to me, it like it really sounded like a sort of isolation from live music, especially for somebody who has been as forthright as Springsteen about how touring, playing live for him, it's it's, you know, he calls it part of his self-medication, but it's, you re- listen to that record and you're, wow, it, wow, it's even tougher for Bruce Springsteen to go a year without live shows than it is for the rest of us. And that's part of the, the spirit of that record. Number 13 is uh, City Girls, City Unlock, and I, I get a huge kick out of City Girls. Uh, Brittany, I think you're a fan, you said. Yeah, I loved this album immediately. From the first listen, I was completely hooked, and I'm such a City Girls stan. I think they are just so much fun. I love... I mean, just like two best friends rapping about being two best friends, about no more friends, about scamming men together as best friends. It's just really beautiful. And I just think this album, you know, they have set the tone of a lot of especially very high femme rap over the last few years. Like they, I think, kind of really helped start a shift in that and kind of bring it back to this sort of like Trina influence, Lil' Kim kind of really just like nasty, fun party rap and they really were the blueprint for the last couple of years of what we've been hearing of radio hits and we've seen that with act up a few years ago going so viral and what makes this album even more special is that the entire time they've been blowing up jt was in prison she had recorded a lot of stuff for right before she had gone in she was out for i believe it was two years that she was gone and this is the album they were able to finally work on after getting this immense success together be back in the studio after two years and having to sort of work things out over the phone constantly young miami being the the main person sort of representing them together but 
to kind of have them be back together and have this much fun and totally dominate this year with amazing remixes. I mean, their Instagram lives are incredible. They are just like so good at social media and just like so silly and great together and love each other so much. It's this album is just completely it's it's just so much fun from start to finish. Like I have gotten a kick out of like listening to it on every like little little walk outside during this year pandemic, but it's been it's been really fun. And let's talk briefly about the Haim album that we got in 2020. Yeah, I I love them. I thought this album was great. It's been on repeat. It's very much like a late summer album for me. It felt like a really good sort of like late summer, early fall type of soundtrack. And they're just like, you know, a group that I've loved watching grow over the years. And I think this is some of their strongest lyrically and sonically. And it's just like very, like very Fleetwood Mac album. They kind of reference Joni a little bit. Man from the Magazine is like one of my favorite songs of the year. And I know Alone, just kind of this like dancier track on there. And I, yeah, I just, I've loved watching them grow. I think this is their best album. Um, their last albums kind of have some weak spots to me where this album felt like definitely their, their strongest yet. Yeah, it felt like there was a, a new maturity and consistency there. Much like Bob Dylan, they figured out how to write songs finally. So it's uh, good, <laughs> good to see. Um, Flo Millie. I love that album. The, the Flo Millie album is so much fun to me. That That's an album that's just like every time you press play on it, there's so much like irrepressible energy and confidence and coolness coming out of like every every lyric. She's like the rookie of the year for me. I know she had, you know, songs that did well in the year or two prior, but making a, a full length mixtape that sort of self-assured and, and awesome and fun sounding was really impressive to me. And we talked about BTS in our Boyne Bands episode. Um, Fleet Foxes. Is that really good? <laughs> yeah, that album rules. That album is incredible. <laughs> Uh, Fleet Foxes are a band that, if you ask me or, or any other Fleet Foxes fan, they came out of the gate with uh, a classic debut album in 2008. Incredible folk rock album, incredible, unique and distinct voice. They made uh, another album a couple of years after that that was also very good. They took a long time off. They came back. They made another record, etc. To me, this the album that Fleet Foxes put out last year, sure, is by far the best thing they've done since the first album and the first one that's really tapped into that just incredible, harmonically rich, soulful folk rock style uh, that sets them apart. Yeah, that's one I, uh, a rare one on the list that I haven't given a chance at all. But now, now that I, I hear someone, I needed someone to verbally and passionately uh, make the case for it. And he, he pulled a Rivers Cuomo, right? And, and, went, and went back to school? Or am I making that up? He, he did before the previous album. Yeah, he, uh, he went back and got an undergraduate degree and, you know, sort of figured, figured things out, thought about a lot of big thoughts uh, and, you know, came back really uh, again with this, you know, the album that came out last year really kind of took his songwriting to a, a new and inspiring level. This is a great duo that... I really love for the the sort of like nineties ness of them and the Destiny's Childness of them and just the uh, uh, they're great uh, Chloe and Hallie and the, and the the uh, album is called Ungodly Hour and the album is a lot of fun. Who wants to jump in on that one? I really enjoyed this album and I think that it's um, I think there's a big a lot that I had sort of seen as a trend in pop this year is a lot of artists who have kind of been like around and, you know, releasing really good songs, really coming into their own and taking some risks, whether, you know, it's kind of going with something like Dua Lipa doing a disco album or like Miley doing an 80s rock homage or kind of just like really establishing some 
really strong identity. And I think Chloe and Hallie on Ungodly, Ungodly Hour were making an album that seemed to really speak to their own sort of in the vein of Beyonce, like performance, big, showy, pop personalities. And I think they are, we've seen so many of their great performances. They've really dominated that arena of doing an excellent quarantine performance, which has become an art form in and of itself. And to help that, they have incredible songs to perform that feel really mature, that feel like it's really organic and really fun. And, you know, just a really just like sexy, cool album between two sisters who are going to be two of the biggest stars of the next decade. Like, you know, we have Hallie is about to star as Ariel in The Little Mermaid live action remake. And Chloe has also, she's been acting since she was really young, but they're both on Grownish as well and kind of taking over that arena. And I think this is a really great sort of primer for many years of Chloe and Hallie dominance that we're about to see. Well said. And then we actually have not talked that much, although we usually talk a lot about Ariana Grande, we have not talked that much about positions at number 22. And there's a lot to enjoy about this record. I think one of the things I enjoy most is the opening track before she gets into relentless sex stuff. Her throat clearing statement is shut up. First of all, the that person she's done with, shut up. Shut up, I have to go ha- have sex with someone else for the rest of the album is kind of like the theme of the thing. And that, that song's hilarious. And there's something so Ariana-ish about the words shut up delivered in like the angelic high part of her voice. I think to a certain extent when she's funny, she means to be, but then sort of like Mariah, you can't be totally sure because they're no longer connected to the earthly bounds of taste and perceptions that they're in, they're in some other realm so you can never be sure but there's something so deeply in her just as like does she know how over top this sort of sexuality <laughs> this album is or does it seem like sort of an average tuesday to her who could say rob, yeah. rob i know you like this album it's so 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 good and i love how you know in the old kumo d test of sticking to themes she's like look i'm not going to sort of run the gamut of human emotion the way I did on Sweetener. Nothing inspirational, nothing uplifting, nothing introspective, nothing elegiac. This is just a banging album for everybody who's trapped in the house for an entire year. And this is about all the the, uh, the flirty goings on that, that the Ariana fans need her to, to act out on record. And so it's, it's kind of a sort of beautifully conceptually obsessive album and it's got so many great songs it's hard to top 34 plus 35 but it's just a thing where they're all the all the songs are good all the way through i love how she can do those sort of cover all the bases albums and then she could do those just take one idea and just hammer it all the way home and this is definitely the latter category yeah, I, I do. That's love actually the of... title track of her next album is "Hammer Hammer All the Way Home." Sorry, Brittany. Go ahead. <laughs> I do love that kind of the the progression is like "Sweetener," which was an intensely monogamous, you know, album as one releases when you are engaged to Pete Davidson, and <laughs> then to "Thank You Next," which is such an intensely like. I'm single for the time being, like I have gone through such a horrific breakup as one does when they have to dump Pete Davidson. And then to go back to like this, like really just like horny 
monogamy album again which is also really great and just like also really takes a lot of the best parts of thank you next which i think is something that was really refreshing for her and made that album such a turning point for her musically and as a star and to kind of find a way to like bring that into the next level and see what that meant for the for the follow-up which is really difficult itself um to kind of come off an album like thank you next which broke all those records for her for you know for pop like it was just kind of a, a big moment and to see where that took her next is is really fun and that she's happy she's happy and kind of living her life and able to kind of continue making the the flirty kind of horny album songs that are also from the perspective of a woman yet again in in deep love she's fascinating for some of those reasons i mentioned all of her affectations are now so triple doubled down upon <laughs> over and over again to the point where they've become real it's just it's just she fakes she's it a, so real she's beyond you know fake it's just it's, she's a theater uh, kid this yeah. was an album for the horny theater kids like this is like <laughs> it this was like you know that's kind of what made thank you next so fun too is like she's like sampling rogers and hammerstein on like a trap pop song about how rich she is like that's incredible like no one else could pull that off like who else can do like I'm going to sample this, sample the sound of music on uh, a song that will eventually have two chains on the remix. Like, that's incredible. Like, that's her lane and no one else is going to try to swerve into it. And that's powerful. So many great ones in this one. That song, song about her hair. That's a top five Ariana song for me. She's always so great singing about her hair. I, I hope her next album will just be songs about her hair for, you know, she'll take that concept all the way through. Ponytail pop. Yeah, absolutely yes <laughs> yes and the whole thing you know where she like you know she invites you to touch her hair which you know i'm sure with ariana's is a real that's an inner sanctum level of 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 trust and commitment and there's something like about that song i mean i i love a lot of songs on this album but, but that one is is that's tippity top of the ariana canon for me speaking of campy miley cyrus's plastic hearts which is a very fun and kind of committed the same way that Ariana Grande committed to that. Uh, Miley committed to the Sunset Strip vibe of this album. And it it really works. And it's it feels so much more comfortable for her, as she kind of suggested to Britney, than some of these attempts to do kind of what, what passed for current pop and to... We won't say appropriate uh, hip hop, but to attempt that stylistic. We can variant. say appropriate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard she finds that hurtful. I'm trying to be nice. Well, um, but <laughs> she's um, not here. Yes, you never know. This, this, you never know who might be listening. But that's uh, true. Miley, you appropriated hip hop. Um, <laughs> but this album is super fun. It has it has really cool guests. Yeah. Billy Idol kills in his appearance among many other people stevie nicks is super fun do you remember like the 80s movie saint elmo's fire where where demi moore has an apartment where there's an entire wall that's just a pastel mural of billy idol's face and that so many of her most emotional scenes in the movie she's like sitting in front of this full wall billy idol mural i thought of that apartment so many times while listening to this album in many ways Miley has captured that furniture aesthetic in sonic form. It's the kind of album where I was listening to it and thinking, God, this sounds like a really amazing Billy Idol album. And then and then we got to the Billy Idol song. And I thought, whoa, I didn't know the Billy Idol cameo was even coming. 
and and she was just already there in perfect psychic synchronicity with with Mr. Idol himself and with Joan Jett and with Stevie Nicks and with all her guests. It's just kind of a perfect album. I, I hope she stays in 1985 forever. Also, just in terms of like Billy Idol's 2020, do you remember like it was almost exactly a year ago that Billy Idol was beginning what he thought was going to be the next phase of his public life, which is <laughs> his campaign against auto exhaust in New York City. He was actually there in front of New York City Hall, leading a chant of Billy never idles, Billy never idles, in order to prevent people from letting their engines run and polluting the atmosphere. It, Billy Idol deserves a do-over for 2020. You know, we all <laughs> thought that that was going to be the theme of Billy Idol's 2020. So the fact that Miley gave him a new sort of story to end the album on, I found that very deeply touching. And I should point out uh, that Andrew Watt who produced the album, produced a huge chunk of the album, also produced an, a, a song on the Dua Lipa album, also produced that Ozzy album and has worked a lot with Post Malone. And he's been like the secret force between a lot of uh, sort of rock-leaning stuff on the uh, that's charted Jason in the past few years. It's pretty interesting. He's, uh, he's smuggling that stuff in. Yeah, there's some deep-cut rock guests, too, like Taylor Hawkins and Chad Smith are also on the album as well. And it's just, like, really, I mean, it's such a great homage to, to the 80s and to all the, the very rockness of her voice that I have been waiting for her to channel more in her music forever since she covered Smells Like Teen Spirit on a Hannah Montana tour when she was a teenager. Like, this was bound to happen, and I'm glad it happened in this way. Like, this is the best sort of delivery of all of that. The end of her Black Mirror episode completely predicted this. Yeah. Uh, number 25 is an album that I think was a little bit overlooked, but is really, really solid. And speaking of pop stars doing rock, uh, Halsey's Manic. I think people slightly always sleep on Halsey's talent. She's really good. She's amazing. This album is amazing. It, it, do you think it's her best album? I think, yeah. I mean... It might be. I love a bunch of Halsey records. I think this one is the most ambitious, excessive, and, and unified one she's made. I think it's just phenomenal all the way through. Yeah, her strongest writing. I think her past albums have definitely gotten too caught up in the concept. Like, I think she kind of, she has such a, a creative way of looking at how she wants to package the albums in terms of, like, creating these, like, big conceptual universes and worlds. And I love that this album just kind of lost a lot of that. Like, she was like, you know what? This is just, like, a lot of things. This is gonna, you know, there's a mixture of stuff happening. You know, there's, like, You Should Be Sad, which is a little bit of, like, country rock. And there's the Alanis interlude. There's Sugar from BTS. Like, there's, like, so many, like, a, such a wide range of guests. There's a John Mayer voicemail at the end of 3 a.m., which, I mean, <laughs> I could lose, but, like, that's there on the best song from the album but yeah it's um it's definitely her best album vocally and writing wise and it's i really have gone back to it a lot more than i thought i would when i first heard it but it's something i've been returning to a lot as we said poor john mayer like his his voicemails used to be understood as you know macking on people and now it's like a legend got in touch with me so it's just a, it's a bummer <laughs> But it's a really beautiful voicemail. It's it's the kind of thing of like, you know, if, yeah. if an artist you respected, like left a voicemail like that, you'd save it and you'd listen to it at dark moments. And because it's a, a song that's basically about like the bad end of a bender of an evening. And it's just kind of like you totally picture her like listening to this to sort of chill herself out after after a bad night. It's It's really kind of beautiful. And honestly, like the fact that it uses... John Mayer as the sort of guardian angel figure is just kind of a conceptual coup in itself. It's almost like, you know, he's the 
beauty school dropout like cameo <laughs> you know the deus ex machina is, is john mayer who's just like giving her a pep talk on like how her art makes a difference in, in her listeners lives and it's it's really kind of a beautiful message but, and that fact that it's coming from john mayer is just the, the icing on the cake we do have big frankie valley as the teen angel and frenchy energy together <laughs> totally that's totally the next phase of john mayer's john mayer's journey is he needs to embrace his frankie frankie avalon is city <laughs> so megan the stein's good news if you spend any time on tiktok it's fascinating to when you go back and actually listen to this as an album because it, you almost forget that these are all parts of the same album or parts of the same song i mean the, the degree to which this has been sliced and diced and used for like 50 different tiktok memes is incredible but the thing is it also functions extremely well as just you know old-fashioned music uh, so she seems to have figured out something that very few people have and jason isbell and the 400 unit uh just check out our interview with jason isbell Great album, incredibly solid and consistent artist. So kind of a, a surprise, at least for me, was the solo debut of Haley Williams from Paramore. It's much edgier and more interesting production-wise and just exciting than I might have expected from, I mean, you know, not to disparage Paramore, but it was just very, very interesting and inventive and, and cool. Uh, and very far from, you know, Paramore had started, already started edging away from traditional rock and doing interesting things. But this really was a leap. I thought it, I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I really love this album and I thought it was totally underrated this year. And I, I feel like such a great debut from Haley. And also, like you said, very unexpected, very surprising, very much like not what I would have anticipated from her first debut album, which is also incredible that this is the first Haley Williams solo debut out al- like her debut solo album as outside of Paramore. And so I just loved how like dark it was, how creepy a lot of it was. Like it's really inspired by this kind of semi haunted house that she had moved into Nashville and just kind of feels very like full of like cobwebs and a lot of these kind of torturous things that she was going through at the time. But I, I really love this album, and also it's been such a, a great year for Paramore nostalgia that people have sort of been returning to them a lot, especially through TikTok. I think that's also so incredible to see there's like new fans popping up, and also people who have been loving them forever are kind of returning to them. So it's it's great to kind of see that balance of the band that she is still very much a part of and still very much appreciates and loves with creating something that is totally unique even with some of the band members who helped produce it and feels like just like such a a raw new entry into her own musical canon you gotta love the soul album that still has the band members on it mm-hmm. like that that's the that's always the biggest flex it's just like it's a soul album because they're all soul albums i'll call it whatever the hell i want <laughs> like it's like it's great yeah um, and uh simon why don't you talk about the weekend after hours yeah, you know, The Weeknd made a really great album with After Hours. Famously or infamously, uh, the Grammys uh, completely ignored it and snubbed it. Uh, I think he was right to be, you know, kind of bothered by that. This is an album where The Weeknd's kind of icy, haunted-sounding, stressed-out, paranoid pop sound really came into full bloom for a full-length album in a way that was not always the case, I think, on his past projects. This is, you know, front-to-back creates a really consistent uh, and enjoyable mood. He had one of the biggest pop songs of the year last year with Blinding Lights, which is this like incredible, perfect pop song. But the, the rest of the album really has a, a tonal consistency to it that was really impressive to me. And, and I, you know, I shared his surprise that uh, the Recording Academy didn't see that. 
I may have said this before, or maybe other people said it before, but it's the first time it seems like he really bridged the gap between his early lo-fi stuff and his later sort of more produced pop stuff. It really feels like it hit the sweet spot there. And and it's also like the the production, even though, I mean, even though there's a lot of different collaborators, he's also always listed himself as a producer, it all coheres into one aesthetic really incredibly well. And there's, of all the stuff probably on our list, this probably has some of the most interesting synth sounds this and like fortet have the have the best sort of there's some awesome kind of um again like 80s but also super futuristic sort of retro futuristic synth sounds it's just like and that's hard to do we've heard a lot of synth. it's it's now as hard to do almost as like an interesting guitar sound it it, we've heard a lot of synth sounds but there's there's some genuinely cool stuff uh, on this album in fact sometimes frankly to me sometimes a bit more interesting than his songwriting but that's that's okay you know he's the songwriting is improving and also he anticipated the uh, the big cannibal trend of 2021 with the cover uh he he was he was he was he was way ahead of of a certain actor so good (laughs) good good for him it really uh gets even better over time that's why i think it's the first weekend album that like i love much more over time than the immediate impact. And it's really the kind of thing where the the songs that make an immediate impact and the ones that take a while to, to, to grow on you, they definitely play off each other. It's really a tour de force. Yeah, I, I really love the, the character that he's created with the album that has elevated so much of it. And for me, that's been a big part of returning to the album is that there is this character that he's seen all the way through. He might still be seen through, I don't know, he's, you know, debuted the whole like new prosthetic face that so many people thought was real, but because he's been so immersed in this character for so long and led it up with like having bandages on his face at award shows for his performances and like creating this like very kind of debauched like 70s Scorsese film kind of night and it's incredible to see that he's kind of really thought outside of just the weekend as like an identity as like this kind of like persona and created as something totally new if he develops that further it it helps get away from that Drake like solipsistic thing because I think maybe he realized he was running in a circle like I'm doing drugs and having sex and I feel bad about it kind of thing. I can only go on like so, so much. So it's smart. Yeah. Now he's a different guy having drugs and, and, and yeah. do, doing drugs and having sex and feeling he's bad like, about it. So. But what if I were a, a character in After Hours, the Scorsese film? <laughs> yeah. Doing all the same stuff I did as myself. Yeah. And now we're at number 35 on Rolling Stone's list. And I can't quite believe it, but this is a really good album by an actual rock band. It's uh, by Fontaine's DC, and it's called The Hero's Death. Robbie wrote about this. I love this record. I love how unneurotic it is. I love how they love being in a band. They want to use the, the perks of being in a band. They want to bring all the things that made them fall in love with music, and they want to, to extend that further. So this is fantastic. I loved their first record because it, you know, it sounded like sort of you know rabble-rousing kids, this album, it's uh, it's much more emotional. It's it, there's a lot of uh, outreach. The lyrics are great. They're really funny. It's just a fantastic record. It's really atmospheric too. It's not just like bl- it's it's far from bludgeoning. It's got a lot of like Smith's like wit. It's just it's just really 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 good. Yeah, the, the guitar the guitar sounds a lot like like Gang of Four, which I guess is sort of a unintentional, uh, unfortunate uh, tribute to the late Andy Gill, who died around a year ago. 
um, the great guitarist, a gang of four. And the way that they have that sort of really acerbic, abrasive guitar sound, but for songs that are not uh, acerbic or abrasive, songs that are not ironic, songs that have that very uh, Irish sense of, you know, a pub sing-along, it's something really kind of uh, remarkably beautiful about that record. And although you might connect it to records you've heard before, it's, it's a totally new and original sound. I can only begin to imagine how excited people would be about this album in 2004. We are running out of time. Simon, what would you like to grab from the remainder of the list? Uh, have we talked about the Jeff Tweedy solo album? I know that's... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's a, a popular pick here, but I, I got to Go say it. that... Uh, this is another case where you know wilco is one of my favorite bands ever and i I love jeff tweedy as a solo artist but i was not expecting him to floor me the way that he did with this album Uh, i don't think he was expecting it to happen either i mean this is an album that he made kind of in an unplanned way because the pandemic shut down a planned tour he was stuck at home uh with his adult sons who are both musicians and uh he made this really great contemplative thoughtful uh, album that that you know also pushed him past uh, some of the creative roadblocks I think that he's you know faced in the past. There's some incredible lead electric guitar playing on that album, which he hasn't done in years. Uh, really awesome to hear as a, a longtime fan. Nice. I know that you you guys have a um, are always sympathetic to late period Paul McCartney. Uh, I have a feeling that we have fans here of uh, Paul McCartney three. Yeah, McCartney 3 Rules. That album is so good. I, I would go so far as to say it's uh, it's not better than the original McCartney you know solo debut, but um, it is better than McCartney 2, which is a, a very good album itself. McCartney 3 is great. It is easily the second best self-titled Paul McCartney album, in my opinion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's kind of a perfect description. It's sort of, you know, it's him like... And, and I love how he wasn't planning on continuing the you know, making a self-titled album at the beginning of a new decade. He, he had other plans for 2020. He was going to be on the road being Paul McCartney every night, which is what he does for four hours until everybody else but Paul McCartney is ready to be carried out in a stretcher on exhaustion. And Paul just wants to keep playing. That's what he does every night. I love that this record, he was like, okay, I can't do that. So fine, fine. I'll, I'll concede to history and I'll make the McCartney three. And he really sounds like he's winging it. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I should mention there is an ACDC record, Power Up, and if you like ACDC, you you should listen to this because I will say it's an ACDC record, and that's really all you need to know. It it just is is completely everything that you would expect and nothing you would not expect in an ACDC album. I am very confused because I thought Brian Johnson was physically unable to sing or something and had to be replaced by Axel Rose and here he's back sounding exactly like Brian Johnson which might be I, I'm just so confused I'm not sure did we what how did this I don't understand wasn't he gone what what happened I thought they were like he, he can never sing again and then he's like back well I don't get it like this is a miraculous recovery it should give everyone hope he tried to quit and Angus wouldn't give him permission you're not allowed to go deaf and, and retire until Angus gives you permission to go deaf and retire so he showed up with the doctor's note and Angus said yeah right you get back there and you sing I love that I love this album I, I can't say for sure I mean I just I love it a lot. I listen to it. I always enjoy it. And I love how they began with high voltage. And then 50 years later, it's power up. It's like, wow, very easy to please them in terms of the metaphors. You know, like, it's like how it started, high voltage, how it's going, power up. In between puns, metaphors, electricity metaphors. It's it's just a beautiful thing. 
There's no more evocative or descriptive sentence in music journalism than it sounds like ACDC. Because <laughs> you just know. The, the, the producer came in and be like, uh, so what, what are you guys uh, thinking about for this? <laughs> we want to make it sound more like ACDC. <laughs> we hope that there will be at least one song where the chorus is the title repeated four times. <laughs> Praying you consider that artistic strategy, Angus. It actually made me realize that I think I saw a single ACDC show and it was fantastic. And I think I would like to see that is on my list. I think that I would like to see one more ACDC show uh, when this is all over. I think that Thunderstruck playing in the arena would actually be a a weirdly uh, moving thing after uh, the year we've had. I plan to break out in tears singing along to Holata Rosie. Definitely. (laughs) So this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We were talking about the best albums of 2020, and I had with me Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield and Simon Fosick levinson And we'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's Volume, Channel 106. In the meantime, we are, of course, a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. That's always appreciated. But as always... Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We keep having new things to tell you to stay safe from, but stay safe out there. And we will definitely see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.